Liverpool 3 0. Corner taken quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. Another 4 0 win for the Reds as we are now have back to back wins in the Premier League. It's been a, a great week or so, hasn't it, James? Really, to be a Liverpool fan? Yeah, it's not been too bad. Goals galore and uh, long may it continue. Fingers crossed. Now, before we get stuck into um, the Southampton 4 0 win, we'll just discuss a little bit about the Ballon d'Or, which took place on Monday night. And I think a few fans were thinking a few weeks that maybe Mo Salah would be in contention to possibly win it, but he only came seventh, weirdly, as Lionel Messi won his uh, seventh Ballon d'Or. Um, I think Jurgen Klopp was speaking in his press conference ahead of Everton and he was saying, it's really bizarre. What, what do you make of it? Uh, I, I don't get these votes. I, I, somebody needs to explain to me. Okay, Ronaldo, I can understand. Everyone you know, respects Ronaldo and everything he's done in the game. And same with Messi. But how does Jorginho and Kante go ahead of Mo Salah? Uh, I know Jorginho has obviously won the Euros and he, he won the, the Champions League. But I don't think anyone's ever really rated him that highly. And I think Kante... Even though he won the Champions League, I don't think it was his best ever season at Chelsea. So I don't understand the votes. I think, you know, the way that he he guided Liverpool into the top four last season, Mo Salah, and obviously the way he started this season, I expect him to be higher than seventh. But yeah, it's a bit it's a bit disappointing, really. I don't know what he's got to do to to really. He's won the Champions League, didn't get it, didn't get voted for it. Won the Premier League, didn't get voted for it. You know, scores twenty plus goals in a you know an injury stricken Liverpool team still doesn't get it. So I don't know what he's got to do. It's one of those where you know that Jorginho, for example, we know he's he's good technically. He's a very nice, tidy player. He's been integral to Chelsea in that midfield. But this award is designed for the best player on the planet. Like that, that's the point of it. It's not about who's won the most. You know, we know he's won the Euros. We know he's won the Champions League, and he played his part in those achievements, but he's not a better footballer than Mo Salah. Like, objectively, he's not. Like, I think anyone who knows the game would could would say that. And I think it's just one of those awards now where it's almost a bit of a popularity contest. We know that Messi's probably the best player of all time. He's in the conversation, at least. But has he had a better season than Robert Lewandowski? Like, probably not. It's probably between those two, but... He's I don't know. the one. He's the one I feel most sorry for more than Mo Salah is because last year he was unbelievable and then all of a sudden there was no Ballon d'Or votes because of Covid and then this year (laughs) Messi takes it obviously because he won the the Copa or the the tournament down in South America so he's probably the person I feel sorry for the most Yeah but let's get stuck into some Liverpool chat then Um, again another 4-0 win in the Premier League for Liverpool that's two 4-0 wins on the bounce it's one thing to you know be winning games we've all talked about how important it is that Liverpool keep up with Chelsea and Man City if they're to be in a title race but the last couple of games we're winning really convincingly and how impressed were you with the performance against Southampton? I was really impressed I think it was good to see Liverpool striking early again I think sometimes you know especially in the Arsenal game we were a little bit slow to get going the crowd out to get going for, for the you know, the players to really step up, but, you know, just Jota to score in the first couple of minutes, you know, vintage Liverpool down the left-hand side, Robertson and Mane linking up. I just think it was just a really good team performance and, you know, 
it's game over after the second one goes in and I think everyone can sit back and relax a little bit more knowing that you know the other two teams aren't going to play till the Sunday so I think all Liverpool can do now is try and get games finished as early as they can and start putting the pressure on the other two teams. Yeah, and Liverpool have now scored two or more goals in the last 17 consecutive fixtures, which is a record that dates back to the 1930s in terms of English teams that have done that. Liverpool seem to be absolutely scoring a hatful of goals every single game. And just, we know that Salah and Mane are going to go away for the African Cup of Nations um, in January, but potentially only for a couple of games that's been reported today. It might only be two Premier League matches they miss. How reassuring is it with that in mind to see that not only are we winning games, we're winning them really, really comfortably. And there's a couple of other people popping up with goals now. You know, Thiago scored a couple. We know the impact Jota's had. How important is that going to be going into that African Cup of Nations um, time of year, even if it is just a game or two? Yeah, it's going to be massive. I think the two games the reporting is the Palace away and Brentford at home are the yeah. two games that yeah. they're going to miss. But, you know, you see Jota scoring another two, that seventh for him for the season. Thiago, two goals in two games, is oozing class from the midfield. Oxley chamberlain looks like a completely new player again. I know we say this all the time with him, but even off coming off the bench on Saturday, he looked really good. Yeah. Robertson looked good down the left-hand side. So, I just think as long as Robertson and Trent can keep providing from you know, the left-back and right-back, and you've got Jota, who's anything inside that six-yard box. He is a goal. I can't believe he was a winger at, at Wolves because he does seem like yeah. such a goal poacher. He seems to be you know, winning around that six-yard box as, you know, as much as anyone. And obviously, Firmino's not had a bad start to the season either. So, yeah, I'm... I'm more confident now I know which games they're going to be missing and how many games they're going to be missing more than, you know, say three or four weeks ago. Yeah, and the Crystal Palace game as well, you'd think that Wilfred Zahar probably won't be available for them, so he's probably their best player, so that is another dimension to consider as well. Um, Talking about Jota then, um, we've spoken a little bit before about his impact since since he joined from Wolves, and like you say there, he's been pretty sensational really, and his goal record is incredible, but with the likes of Salah and Mane and Firmino, that's always been Liverpool's kind of, that front three has always been lauded ever since Klopp kind of put them together and built that team. But I think it just goes without saying, and it needs to be highlighted a bit more, that just having someone like Jota also contributing those goals and also, you know, chipping in. And if, for example, one of them has a bad game or is out of form a little bit, you know, we've spoken before about Firmino potentially declining slightly, how big of a boost is it to have a young, hungry guy like Jota who can step up straight away? He's not taking any time really to adjust. He's just kind of, since he signed about a year ago, he just hit the ground running instantly. Yeah, he scored quite a lot last season, especially coming off the bench in his first couple of Liverpool games. Um, but I think it's massive. I think, you know, psychologically for Salah and Mane, they're not thinking, well, I've got to produce because the other guy's having a bad game. And, you know, Salah's not looking over to Mane rolling his eyes and vice versa. They know that there's somebody else in there who is going to work. Let's put it, it's equally as hard. He runs around just as much as the other two do. He tracks back just as much as the other two do. Um, and he's, he's creating as, as much as the other two do. He, he does appear to be a nuisance. Um, I don't think, you know, defenders seem to know how to cope with him. He seems to drop deep. He, he seems to play on the shoulder. So I think having someone like, we've been crying out for someone to sort of challenge that front three for a while. Um, 
and I think he's been the perfect man for it. And you know, I think it's only going to breed confidence knowing that you know if he can lead Liverpool into two wins in those games, that you know Salah and Mane aren't there, he can get a couple of goals. That you know, I think he can say, you know, I'm as as valuable as, as you two. Um, and I think that can only breed confidence uh, through him and through the rest of the team. Yeah. And going into, you know, the next few years where Liverpool may need to bring in a few more attacking options is the likes of Salah and Mane. We know they've got various contract situations, same with Firmino, and we know how much they've contributed over the years. But as the team needs to be rejuvenated a little bit, it's really good to have, like, one piece of the puzzle in there already in Jota, who you could hope to be at the club for, for many years if he keeps up this level of performance. Um, moving into the midfield then, Thiago Alcantara, I think we've known for a while how good he is. And I think Liverpool fans and, you know, to be honest, anyone who has watched any form of European football over the last 10 years knows the talent that Thiago's got. But when he came in, through no fault of his own, we know his injury record, but through no fault of his own, he ended up in midfields that were far away from Liverpool's best midfields to due to the injuries that we had in other areas. But now, does he, to you, look really at home in that Liverpool midfield? Now that, you know, he's got Henderson and Fabinho back alongside him, the whole midfield unit looks really strong when he's able to display the type of talent that we know he's got on a more regular basis. Yeah, now he's got two workhorses alongside him. I think that makes a massive difference. I don't think anyone over the last seven, eight years from his time at Barcelona all the way to now has turned around and, said that Thiago is, is a workhorse in that midfield. He's the person who dictates the play, can swap the ball from left to right, and is the link-up person, you know, player between the defenders and, and, and the strikers. So I think we've always said that, you know, in and around the boxes work, we're probably going to see the best of Thiago playing those little neat passes. And, you know, he scored that absolute screamer against Porto, you know, which I'm still convinced didn't touch the grass. I, I, still think, <laughs> I, agree. I still think it goes over it. Um, and then obviously the, the strike against Southampton, no, it takes a deflection, but the first touch to bring the ball down and to take the man on is... Sensational. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's something to behold. And listen, he, not only did he have the injuries, he had COVID before he even turned up with, with the team last season. So, you know, it probably wasn't the best time to judge him, but it's an even... Real Ferdinand, who isn't giving Liverpool players the greatest comments in the world on social media at the moment, um, said after the Porto game that, you know, this guy is one of the best, still one of the best in the world. And it was only a matter of time before we saw it from him. Yeah, I think a lot of pundits and kind of maybe more casual Liverpool watchers are kind of waking up a little bit to just how good he is. So long may it continue and hopefully he stays fit. And staying on the topic of, of the midfield, We've got a few more bodies back there now. You know, um, I think against Southampton, we actually had Henderson for being and Thiago will start the game, which we'd probably say is Liverpool's best field on paper. Then you've got James Milner's back, you've got Oxford Chamberlain on the bench. Um, I don't think Naby is too far away, judging by what Jürgen Klopp was saying in his press conference. He was saying maybe another week or so. So, whereas a couple of weeks ago, we were saying the midfield looks a bit light and we were a bit worried about it because... They, you know, it was almost picking itself, wasn't it, that midfield for, for a time. Klopp's got a bit more options in there now, which is going to be massively beneficial going into a busy Christmas period. Yeah, it's going to be massive. I mean, even the likes of James Milner, like you just said then, that, you know, to throw him in for a game, you know, in and around the Christmas periods, uh, when you're at home, where the teams the teams you're playing aren't as strong is, is hugely beneficial. Um but I think on paper, if you look at Liverpool's midfield, 
it is there is strength and depth there and there is different types of players you know so you've got your workhorses like I've said in Henderson and, and uh, Fabinho you've got Milner who likes to take a man on Kate who likes to take a man on Thiago likes to dictate the play I think Jurgen Klopp's got a lot of different options for whoever you know Liverpool are playing and everyone seems to be playing well at the moment which is quite scary to say at the moment because you just know it's going to go downhill from here but uh, it's always the curse but like I said the likes of Oxlade-Chamberlain at the moment he, he is looking like the player we signed from Arsenal when he, he first burst into the team and just that burst of pace someone who's not afraid to hit the shot from distance someone who's strong physical it's you know it's it's massive for this Liverpool team and it doesn't matter which midfield three we're playing what combination whoever's coming in they seem to be you know getting the results and playing well so Full credit to them on the training ground and uh, the recruitment as well. And one final point on this Southampton win is there was a lot, well, not a lot, but a little bit of talk before the game that maybe Klopp shouldn't throw Andy Robertson straight back in. He came out from injury, came back injured after international break and Kostas Timikas was played really well in, in the, you know, the Arsenal and the Porto game. And just generally this season, I think all Liverpool fans agree that Kostas has proven himself on more than able deputy left back. And there was a little bit of suggestion that Klopp was, you know, going back to his favourites with Robertson because Robertson hadn't had a great start to the season. But I think he really put a marker down against Southampton and he put in a fantastic performance. And do you think he maybe shut up a few critics, perhaps? Yeah, I think he looked back to his best. Like, um, like I said, talking before about vintage Liverpool, the Mane and Robertson link up, um, especially for the, you know that first goal when Mane's got the ball at the bar line and. Robert say, Robertson saying, put it here for me now, put it in this position and I'll put it in the box. And, you know, I just think it's that link up, that experience um, that Robertson's got now. Um, I mean, you can't take anything away from Simakas. I mean, what is it, eight games he's played and no goals conceded. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's really much, you know, criticism for the lad. And I do think there is going to come a point where he is going to be pushing Robertson even further for, for that left-back position. But, Listen, I don't think it's been fair on Andy Robertson. He, you know, he had a, a tough Euros with Scotland, obviously getting knocked out early on and he got injured in the pre-season game against Athletic Bilbao. So he was injured for the first three and then maybe there was a point where he's rushed himself back because he wants to get back on the team. He knows that Simicast is playing well and his baby is spots under threat. But, you know, I, I think, like I said, vintage Liverpool and uh, Andy Robertson looked really good and, it's it's nice to know that we've got players who can step in, players who are going to step up, and you're not relying on James Milner to play in six different positions when there's an injury. That's it, that's it, isn't it? It's so good to know that if Robertson is out, you've got someone to rely on. And the whole defence, really, this season, which is ironic given what we went through last year, is that we've got four really good centre-backs now. I know that Joe Gomez is injured at the moment and probably hasn't played as much football as he'd like, but Kanate was another one who played really well against Southampton the weekend. He gives Joel Matip a rest. Um, and yeah, that we've got a lot of options in the back four positions, which is, seems a bit a bit weird at the, um, given what we were used to last year. But let's look ahead then to the next two fixtures. Liverpool have got a busy week. We've got Everton in the Derby on Wednesday and then Saturday away to Wolves. So two away games, um, two tricky away games, I think we'd agree on. We'll start with the Derby, obviously. We know how big the, the Merseyside Derby is. We don't need to really dwell on that too much. But Everton are in pretty poor form, really. They're in probably one of the most out-of-form teams in the league, only two points from the last 21 available. Um, but that old cliche, form goes out the window in a derby, doesn't it, James? It, it, it does when you're playing at Goodison for, for some reason. 
you know, Jurgen Klopp doesn't have you know, the greatest record at Goodison. Um, off the top of my head, I, I think there's only only one win at Goodison under Jurgen Klopp. You know, we drew two two last season. Yeah. Um, then it was nil nil the two years before that, and I think it's just the Daniel Daniel Sturridge hits the post and Mane taps it in. I think are the only ones from the Klopp era. So. It's always a tough place to go. It's a Wednesday night. It's going to be cold up in Merseyside. It's you know it's cold everywhere, and Rondon's going to be up the top, and Everton's going to lump it long, and they're going to sit deep, and the Everton fans are going to cheer for every corner like it's a goal as they normally do. But yeah, I, something tells me it's not going to be as easy as what as what we all think it is. Um, yeah, Derby Day, you know, going into a Derby phone goes out the window. We said this with the United game, you know, to, even though they were playing as far as they were, you're never confident going in. And, you know, it's Rafa as well. Rafa knows how to set a team up in the big games and how to be pragmatic and how to nick a 1 0. So I'm, I'm confident at the moment, but leading up to kickoff tomorrow, uh, I think the nerves will start to kick in. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, isn't it, where. Yeah, you just know that the narrative all week. There's been a lot of focus on Everton this week, I think, after the, they lost to Brentford again on the weekend. And they've lost a few pretty, they've lost a few games pretty badly recently. You know, you think of the, the collapse against Watford where they were 2 1 up and cruising pretty much, weren't they? And, and then Josh King scores a hat trick and, and they lose that one. And then, like we say, I know they lost to another newly promoted team this weekend. And Benitez is under a bit of pressure. I think the Everton fans on Twitter were having a bit of a meltdown over, over the weekend. So it's kind of, everyone expects Liverpool to absolutely, you know, not batter them, but win quite comfortably in this one. Whereas you would just not be surprised if it's like nil-nil going to the final stages and Benitez has played an absolute tactical masterclass. But one thing we do have in our favour is that it's Christmas time. And last time you refer to that Mane winning goal, and that was when the uh, Merry Christmas Everton chant was born. <laughs> Hopefully we get a rendition of that on Wednesday night at Goodison. But in terms of Rafa then, what do you, we obviously knew that he was, you know, he'd been at Everton for a, a little while now since the start of the season and Liverpool fans probably have a bit of a mixed feeling about it. We've not really discussed it a great deal on here. So what's your take on First of all, Rafa taking the job in the first instance. We know he loves Liverpool as a city. and probably played a big part in him going there because his family have always lived in Merseyside, even when he's had jobs abroad or in different parts of the UK. So are you? do you think it's tainted his legacy a little bit? Or for you, is it just kind of Rafa, what Rafa did will never be forgotten and this, you know, Everton aren't really competing with Liverpool, so it doesn't matter that much? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Rafa, Rafa Benitez gave me the, the, the best night I think I'll probably ever have. Um, yeah. I, I don't think anything's ever going to come close to that. And then, you know, follows it up with an FA Cup the following year. Again, another big comeback in a cup final. Um, I think it's I think it's more because of Rafa the person. I think he's always spoken well about Liverpool. Um, he's always donated to the 96 charity. He's always donated to Alder Hay uh, Children's Hospital in Liverpool as well. Yeah. Um, his wife still lives, you know, you know, in the city, which let's be honest, he's, he's since then, he's since Liverpool, he's been to Madrid, he's been to Milan and she still decided to sit in rainy Liverpool in, in the cold winter months. So, you know, I, I think because of, because of the man that Rafa Benitez is, I think he is, you know, people do speak about him, you know, in, in the footballing world as a gentleman, you know, he's, 
I know we made the joke of Everton are only a little club, um, which I know obviously didn't go down well when he signed there, but I've got no problems with him going to Everton. It's not someone who's going to challenge for silverware. It's not someone that's going to challenge you for a title or top four. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really have a problem with it since day one, really. Yeah, I think we're in agreement on that one. But one thing I think that will be interesting to see is the kind of reception he gets. Well, obviously, Liverpool are at Goodison Park in this fixture, but you maybe there'll be a bit of, you know, a bit of banter between the fans about Benitez. Um, I think, you know... Um, there's been a lot of talk on social media about Agent Benitez, hasn't there, recently with all of Everton's recent form. But when in the reverse fixture, when they come to Anfield, if you know he's still in a job by then, um, what do you think? You think the cop would give him, you know, a pretty good reception? He's, I think he has got a, his face on one of the flags up there, so that'd be a bit of a weird one. Yeah, I, th- I think he deserves it. I think, you know, we won Liverpool, the biggest trophy in Europe at a point where they were going nowhere. I mean, how long it had been since we'd won a European Cup. Um, I know we'd won the UEFA Cup under Gerard Houllier, but the, the real big trophy, obviously, you're going back to the 80s. So, we put Liverpool back on the map in that regards. And up until Hicks and Gillette coming in and messing everything up with the finances, you don't know where Benitez could have took that Liverpool team of Alonso, Torres, Gerard, Vascarano. So, yeah. um, no, I, I think he deserves it. You know, two, cup, two trophies and, you know, a second-place finish. Um, in his time in Liverpool under difficult circumstances with the financial difficulties at the club at the time. Um, you know, I, I hope they do give him a bit of a clap and a bit of a cheer. But then as soon as the full-time whistle, the, the sorry, the the kick, the whistle's blown for the kickoff, I think uh, you need to put everything to the side. And, and obviously he just becomes another, another blue manager. Yeah, I think we agree on that. Um, and in terms of Everton this season then, and what Rafa has done so far, it's a bit of a it's strange, isn't it? Because when he was appointed, obviously we know that the Everton fans don't want him. Maybe the majority of fans were not keen. There's a few, I think, who could see the logic behind it. He's, you know, he's a European Cup winning manager. He's won league titles in Spain. He's one of Europe's best managers probably over the last 10 to 20 years. But it's probably, you know, he's, he's in his early 60s now. Maybe the game's moved on a little bit. We've seen, you know, Marini, someone like Mourinho who whose time came and went, similarly with Arsene Wenger, his time came and went. Do you think Benitez is at a stage of his career now where where Everton wants to be, which is probably pushing for top six? I imagine that's what their fans would say they want, whether that's realistic or not, it's another issue. Do you think his style of play can help them achieve that? Because we always know he's been pragmatic and we all know he's been very tactically disciplined. And I think defenders enjoy playing for him more than attackers. I think that's the thing Jamie Carragher's recently said that Steven Gerrard and Fernando Torres, for example, didn't necessarily really enjoy playing Benitez's style of football, whereas himself and like Sammy Hippier really loved it because he gave them absolutely everything they needed to thrive. Do you think his style of play suits Premier League football in 2021? I think there's a case to say it does. I think the problem with Benitez now is I think he needs everything right for for his team to be successful. I think he needs more than 1.5 million to spend in the summer. And I think he needs more than, obviously, Calvert-Lewin's been injured. Um, Richarlison's been out so, at times this season. Um, Alan's been out injured. This Yeah, Alan's been out. Decore's been out. Mina's been out. I, I just... 
I think he's he's come at a really bad time at Everton. I think obviously they've not been able to spend the money because of the financial fair play. Um, and he's having to deal with some absolute garbage that are out. Alex Awobi is still a Premier League footballer in 2021. And how Everton spent, was it 27 million they, they paid for him? 25, 27 yeah, million? As much as that, really. Jeez. So, yeah. he, you know, he's got to deal with all of that. And yeah, I, I think if they can give him to the summer, I think give him the season, give him to the summer, let him get some more of his own players that he'd want to bring in, let him set stabilise the team. Um, and get some fresh faces in that he would like to, and I think I think it can be a success. I think he did; he was doing you know, well with Newcastle. I think he, you know, he obviously brought them up from the Championship. You know, going from his last pre- going back to his last Premier League job. I think he was doing a good job at Newcastle. There was just you know an argument of Benita said I need more money, um, which every Premier League manager doesn't. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there is still a place for Benitez, but. I am worried that if this doesn't, if he gets sacked from Everton, that I don't think anyone else is going to touch him after this. Yeah. It's one of those as well where he's almost on, it seems like he's almost on a hiding for nothing straight away, doesn't it? He was targeted with some pretty horrific abuse when he was given the job in the first place. I know that's not representative of the fan base of a whole, but it's clear that generally the fan base weren't so keen as having an ex-Liverpool legend as as their manager. And um, it's one of those where if the crowd are going to turn quick, it'll be for him. Do you know what I mean? Like when they've had previous managers, even when they had like Marco Silva, for example, a few years ago, it took them a while to actually turn on him. It's the Goodison Park crowd, usually quite quite loyal, but they still, with Benitez, you think if they're going to start, you know, booing, it might, and calling for his head, it will probably be quicker than the average manager because of his links to Liverpool. But we'll see what he can do. But hopefully he gets no points this week um, anyway um, and then after that Liverpool go another tricky away game it's Wolves away on the weekend on the Saturday three o'clock kickoff. Um, Wolves who had a bit of a mixed start of the season but they've really kind of picked up now and they're sitting in sixth place under Bruno Large at the time of recording and they look like they're really enjoying their football whereas last year they had a bit of a tough time in Nuno's final season but Large seems to have reinvigorated them a little bit. Yeah I was I was really shocked when I look at, looked at the league table um, at the end of the weekend and saw Wolves in six because, like you said, I remember at the start of the season, you know, pundits and commentators were saying the problem with Wolves is, is they just couldn't score. They were creating a lot of chances, but just couldn't score. And, you know, they seem to have found that goal-scoring touch again. I think having him and his back is a massive, yeah. it's just a massive thing for them. He's, he's a really big, really big player for them. He's good in the air and strong. He's, he's got a bit of pace about him as well and he knows what the goal is. So I think, you know, them having to rely on Fabio Silva for a large period last season obviously probably didn't help. He's only what, 18, 19. It's, yeah, yeah. it's a big ask in his debut season. But they've obviously signed um, Quang Lee from Red Bull Salt, uh, Leipzig who's who's started really well. They've got him on loan and, you know, we got a couple of goals well, a couple of weeks ago and he seems to be linking up with him and has pretty well. So I think Wolves have always been pretty solid defensively with the back three. Um, you know, with Conor Cody playing in there and obviously Nathan Semedo and, and players like that. Um, I think it's just been scoring goals, which has been their issue, but they seem to be firing after what looked a poor start to the season. Yeah, and if Liverpool... You know, going into these two games generally as, as a pair, we know going the Christmas period is always really intense for everyone. 
if you can get maximum points out of these two, particularly, because they're both away games. And then I think after that, we've got a Champions League dead rubber next midweek against AC Milan. And then, you know, it's uh, Aston Villa, Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa after that. If you can get six points here, where this is probably the start, the, the point in the season where teams are going to start dropping points, given the busy schedule, it's going to put a real big marker down ahead of the busy end of the season. Yeah, th- th- these two games are massive. I mean, I'm just looking at Chelsea's fixtures now. They've got Watford away, which, you know, is a tricky fixture. And then they've got West Ham away. And then City have got uh, two away games. They've got Villa away, obviously, rejuvenating under Steven Gerrard. Yeah. And then what they've got Watford away. Um, they always seem to put six or seven past Watford whenever they play them. So it doesn't, you know, maybe that one, not so much. But, you know, if... You know, Chelsea can drop a point in one of those two games and Villa can nick something against City. Then all of a sudden taking six points from from them games can see Liverpool go two, three points clear ahead of everyone else going into that Christmas period where, as we've said, the African Cup of Nations are only going to miss them for two games. Uh, Mane and, and Salah. So it's, it's absolutely massive. And, you know, the results at the moment, beating Porto convincingly, Arsenal convincingly and Southampton, there's no reason why Liverpool can't go to Everton and put four or five away and even Wolves put four or five away. Um, but I just think it's all about putting the pressure on the other two now. I think we've seen Chelsea crack a little bit on Sunday with the pressure, seeing Liverpool yeah. and, and United win. Uh, sorry, um, Liverpool and City win. Um and they've got a few injuries at the moment. Chelsea still know Lukaku relying on Werner up front and, you know, they've got a London derby. So it's absolutely massive for Liverpool. And I think if they can go and get six points, then I think we can say that Liverpool have, have got a, a strong hold on, on the title race. Yeah, I think with Chelsea as well, their fullbacks are really important, similarly to Liverpool. And Chilwell's got a big injury and reports they suggest Reese James might have a bit of a timeout on the sidelines as well. So that's, again, two big players. Um, if I think Lukaku, obviously, he's the big one. He came on at the end against Man United, but he's not probably fully fit yet. If, if they can get him on the pitch and fire, he'd be a bit more rude. They looked a bit, they did look quite toothless against Man United. They had a lot of chances, but, you know, Werner missed probably six or seven of them himself. But yeah, um, we'll see what happens. But James, it's been a short and sweet one, um, the two of us. We'll be back next week to discuss um, all the results. But thanks for your time as always, mate. No problem. It's good to be back on and uh, hopefully we'll be uh, laughing and joking again next week. Fingers crossed. Um, But yeah, that's all we've got time for on this week's show, but there's plenty of Anfield Central content on our website, anfieldcentral.co.uk for that, and on our Twitter page as well, at Anfield underscore Central. But until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye.